0: We're going to carry on our series looking through the book of Daniel. So, if you have a Bible with you this morning, you can turn to Daniel chapter 3. We'll be looking through the whole chapter. But don't worry if you haven't got your Bible this morning, it's going to be on the screen as well. And I'm going to be chopping out a few bits just because it's quite a long chapter to read. So, we're going to uh, get to what we want to. But I'm going to pray for us first. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you. That we're in you. Thank you that you're here with us this morning and as we gather we, we know you and we experience your joy and, and we get to uh, discover who we are in you. And, and so I pray as we read this wonderful book, as we hear of these accounts of history. Lord, this isn't fairy tale stories but your work through history. Preserved in scripture for us. We ask, come and speak to us by the Spirit this morning that we might learn and apply your word to our lives. Thank you, Lord. Amen. Right. So, Daniel chapter 3. I'm going to whiz through it at f- a fair old pace because there's quite a lot of it. Um, let's go for it. King Nebuchadnezzar <coughs> made an image of gold, 60 cubits high and 60 cubits wide. That's about 9 feet by 90 feet. And set it up on the plain of Jura in the province of Babylon. Then he summoned the satraps, prefects, governors, advisers, treasurers, judges, magistrates and all other provincial officials to come to the dedication of the image he had set up. Then the herald loudly proclaimed, Nations and peoples of every language, this is what you're commanded to do. As soon as you hear the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, pipe and all kinds of music, you must fall down and worship the image of gold that the King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. Whoever does not fall down and worship will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. Therefore, as soon as they heard the sound of the horn, flute, zither, lyre, harp, and all kinds of music, all the nations and peoples of every language fell down and worshipped the image of gold that Nebuchadnezzar had set up. At this time, some astrologers came forward and denounced the Jews. They said to King Nebuchadnezzar, may the king live forever, your Majesty has issued a decree that everyone who hears the sound of the horn, flutes, or the lyre, harp, and all kinds of music must fall down and worship the image of gold, and that whoever does not fall down and worship will be thrown into a blazing furnace. But there are some Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who pay no attention to you your majesty. Then neither serve your gods nor worship the image you've set up. Furious with rage, Nebuchadnezzar summons Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And then he tells them that if they don't fall down, he's going to throw them in the furnace. And, and they reply to him this, King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it. He will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Then Nebuchadnezzar was furious with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and his attitude towards them changed. He ordered the furnace to be heated seven times hotter than usual, commanded some of the strongest soldiers in his army to tie up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego and throw them in the blazing furnace. So these men wearing robes, trousers, turbans and other clothes were bound and thrown into the blazing furnace. The king's command was so urgent and the furnace so hot that the flames of the fire killed the soldiers who took up Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego. And these three men firmly firmly tied fell into the blazing furnace. King Nebuchadnezzar leapt to his feet in amazement and asked his advisors, weren't there three men that we tied up and threw in the fire? Certainly, they replied. He said, look, I see four men walking around in the fire, unbound, unharmed, and the fourth looks like the son of God's. Nebuchadnezzar then approached the opening of the blazing furnace and shouted, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, servants of the Most High God, come out, come here. So Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego came out of the fire and the satraps, prefects, governors, royal advisers crowded around them. They saw that the fire had not harmed their bodies, nor was a hair on their head singed. Their robes were not scorched, and there was no fire, smell of fire on them. Then Nebuchadnezzar said, Praise be to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who set his angel and rescued his servants. They trusted in him and defied the king's commands and were willing to give up their lives rather than serve or worship any god except their own god. Therefore, I decree that the people of any nation or language who say anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego be cut into pieces and their houses be turned into piles of rubble. For no other God can save in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. Okay, there we go. Just as a reminder, just as I remember actually, it talks about worship of all those different instruments. Uh, It just kind of came to my mind that actually uh, this evening, uh, this sounds like a bit of a bizarre distraction, but this evening on Songs of Praise, uh, which isn't my regular watch all the time, I guess, but uh, uh, Church of Christ the King in Brighton will be on, and people like Lou Fellingham and Stuart Townsend, maybe you've heard of those names, are are on Songs of Praise tonight. So perhaps you don't watch it, but maybe tonight's worth a a watch at some point, or watch it on iPlayer. Um, The Church of Christ the King is a, a, a... the church in Brighton that's part of our family of churches, and uh, it's probably worth a watch. I think I'm going to check it out on iPlayer. I'm sure they don't have harps and ziddlers and lyres and flutes and all that kind of stuff, maybe a few. Anyway, that's uh, off the point. The main message of this morning as we look at Daniel 3 is this. God is in charge in the trials of life that we face, and therefore we can trust him wholeheartedly. And so I've got three things I want to draw out this morning. That they refused to compromise God, they experienced the presence of God, and they were protected by God. So we've got this story recorded in Daniel 3 for us, and uh, it's probably a few years on from Daniel 2, that uh, Raj spoke about last week. Um, Nebuchadnezzar has decided to build this huge statue, this huge image, nine feet wide and 90 feet tall. Uh, Just to get that into a bit of perspective for you, here's the uh, statue of uh, Christ the Redeemer in uh, Rio, I think it is, in Brazil. Uh, Has anyone ever been there? No, I have. Okay, well done. Is it big? (laughs) It's, It's about the same size as this. That what we're talking about in terms of 90 feet. This is about 90 feet high um, f- from the, the kind of statue bit. So that kind of gives you a bit of a, a, a feel for what it is. Maybe a bit closer to home, the Angel of the North. Anyone been to the Angel of the North up the road in Gateshead? <laughs> yes. Yep, okay. That's about 60, 66 feet tall. So you get it's probably a bit bigger than that. Um, but actually what it says is it was 9 feet tall wide and nine, uh, 90 feet tall now if you can kind of get that in your head that means it's very very thin and very very tall and so I'm thinking what's, what's a bit closer to that, a bit closer to home if you go to the next one, have, have you seen Text in Middlesbrough outside Debenhams, has anyone ever seen this, has anyone wandered past it and thought what on earth is that apparently it was built a few years ago very thin and very tall and you can text it and it'll change colour yeah. it will change color I don't think you can anymore. I think it might be broken, or kind of <coughs> local government cuts have meant that it doesn't work anymore, but it does. It used to turn red, and it used to turn rainbow, and all sorts of stuff. Anyway, so it's Nebuchadnezzar's image is three times as tall as this, and probably about three times as, as wide. A very kind of tall, thin image that he has set up. Thank you for that, Diane. <laughs> um, and we're not told what the statue is of. Is it of a Babylonian god... Is it of Nebuchadnezzar himself? Actually, the details of the statue are less important to the writer of Daniel than what it represents. You see, perhaps he was trying to unite the Babylonian people, all these different people, all these different nations in his Babylonian empire. Perhaps he was trying to unite them together um, as a one people. You know, they're com- coming from very different places. Um, and a god or an idol that he could unite them under to worship. Might just do this, maybe he thought. And you know, you can see all the effort he's gone into for the event, all the different musical instruments that are there, all the people, the, the really important people are gathered first to lead the way, to show the people what to do. It's like, like the, the all the prestige of the Olympic opening ceremony, you can imagine it all happening on this day. And then... Everyone is meant to fall down and worship at the same time, and you see, for most people in the Middle East, this wouldn't have been much of a problem. Um, they, most of them, would have been what we call polytheists. Okay, they would have had more than one god, and they'd have been happy to have more than one god. You know, and Nebuchadnezzar's image would have just been another one to add to their list of gods. They would, wor- oh, we worship our dead ancestors, yeah, I've got a few of them, and oh, we worship, um, uh, uh, we worship the trees, yeah, I've got them on my list, yeah, um, these mythical gods, I've got some of their, oh, now I'll just add Nebuchadnezzar's image to the bottom, and that's what it would have been like for many of them. It wouldn't have been a major, major problem. However, Nebuchadnezzar's got a backup plan. If this all goes wrong, and there's people who say they don't want to, do you know, I'm going to threaten them with the fiery furnace, and I'm going to burn them alive. Serious stuff. Perhaps he thought, you know, I probably will only need it for the real loonies. I don't know how you translate that. Uh, The real extreme cases, uh, the real mad ones that uh, really won't. Um, Perhaps he thought, you know, even the Jews will recognise that Uh, Babylonian gods have a bit of sway in their own nation. So perhaps they'll be all right and they'll just say, yeah, okay, yeah, we can worship a Babylonian god because we're in Babylon. The music plays and there's an immediate response. Everyone bows. However, some people go and tell the king that there's some Jews that have refused. Shadrach. Meshach and Abednego these three human men uh, three Hebrew men we hear that they've been brought to babylon at the same time as daniel out of judah and we read about last week didn't we they've been given a role in babylonian government and they had refused to worship nebuchadnezzar's image see they would not compromise the living god one definition of compromise is to change or to modify what you believe. Do you know, as Christians, we're not called to compromise our faith, compromise what we believe. We're called to give our worship to God and God only. And do you know, perhaps in other countries, perhaps it's countries maybe that you've come from, there is clear and public pressure To compromise your faith. Where citizens are commanded to worship the nation's religion and not the living God. Where they're commanded never to question the government. Where refusal can mean losing your job. It can mean imprisonment. (coughs) It can mean separation from your family. It can mean even death. And I'm aware we've got people in our church who have come from nations like that. But wherever you're from, you will face trials where you'll be tempted to compromise your faith in God. The difficulties of life, the health concerns, the financial difficulties, the opposition from others around you to your faith. Maybe, maybe the trials will come from seemingly good things. Maybe a promotion at work. Maybe an increase in finance. Will it test your faith? Will the temptation to compromise your relationship with Christ raise its head in those seemingly good things? The temptation maybe, to make an idol, even, out of your work or out of money. And to give your worship to that, just like Nebuchadnezzar's statue. See, we often think of idol worship as bowing down before statues, don't we? Or people who have little shrines in their house and uh, they go and and worship at that perhaps every few days or every day. But actually, humans are, are pretty good at making idols out of pretty much anything. Good at giving our worship to things other than God. Do you know, if I said to you, idol worship was going on all over Teesside... You might look at me a bit strangely go, what? You might say no. But actually, people make idols of all sorts of things. Money, career, pleasure, work. And then, okay, you might say, okay, yeah, I can agree. Okay, I agree, I see. Actually, people make idols of all sorts of things. They give their worship to those things. But if I said that we, We can make idols of all sorts of things. I wonder what your response would be. John Calvin, the great uh, church reformer, said this, the human heart (coughs) is a factory of idols. Every one of us is, from their mother's womb, expert in inventing idols. So, money, work, pleasure... You know, these aren't bad things, but we can set them up as idols in our hearts. We can give our attention and our devotion to them above God. For some, it can be technology, can't it? We recently got a new TV. I like my new TV. I'm impressed by my new TV, but when I found scratches on the TV because the kids either think it's a touchscreen TV or just want to hit the people that are on TV, I got annoyed. And I wondered, how much do I make an idol of the technology I own? How much do I give my attention and devotion to it? than just seeing it as stuff. Okay, so what helped? Let's look at what helped Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego to stand for God in this day of trouble. They were wise about what was compromising and what was simply adapting to culture. See, they had already accepted some changes to their names, actually. Daniel says they came to Babylon with their Hebrew names and their names are changed and their names that they're given, the names Shadrach, Meshach... And Abednego. and it says, that, you know, they don't have, as far as we know, they don't have a major problem with this. It tells us that they, were, they took up roles in Babylonian governments. They didn't say no to that. They didn't say, no, that's a compromise. Actually, they knew they could be an influence in that place. But the worship of God was a step... Uh, sorry, the worship of the image was a step too far. See, they are clear on what is an offence to God and what isn't. Perhaps you've met Christians who withdraw from life. They withdraw from the life around them. You know, they don't want to have anything to do with society around them because they think it's compromising their faith. So they'll withdraw. I won't go to that place. There's non-believers there. I won't do that. I won't have that in my life. See, Jesus' prayer for his followers in John 17 is this. My prayer isn't that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. See, Jesus is saying, I don't want want my followers to be separated from society, to be separated off, but I want them to know what sin is. I want them to be protected from the evil one. I want them to be wise about sin. I loved what Raj was saying about uh, Jeremiah from last week on uh, Daniel chapter 2, about loving the city, praying for the city. And uh, I had to listen to it on uh, uh, download, and I'd encourage you, if you weren't here last week, listen to it. It's fantastic. Listen to it on download, as I did. I was out with the kids' work, because, do you know, on a Sunday morning, do you know where the action is? It's not in here, really. It's out in the kids' work. It really is, you know, these young Boys and girls wanting to know about Jesus, wanting to know about who he is and how he affects their lives and how he loves them. Now that's where the real action is. It's not in here. No, I'm joking. God's here too. Um, I would really encourage you to download it and listen to it and particularly listen to the stuff that Raj brought up from Jeremiah about living in the city. Pray for the place where you are. Engage with the place where you are. Don't withdraw from the places God has put you. Think about it for a minute. Where has God placed you? Don't withdraw from it. Don't be fearful that some way you'll be over-influenced by it. No, no, you will influence it. The power of God is in you to influence situations in where you are. But don't let it compromise the person Jesus has made you. Don't let the culture define your values. Rather, keep aligning yourself with God's values. Which does bring me to my second point of what helped them stand before God. They had a solid understanding of who God is and what he's like. See, what's their answer to being thrown in the furnace? If we're thrown into the blazing furnace... The God we serve is able to deliver us from it, and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, we will want you to know, your majesty, that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. See, they understood who God is. See, they will have known what God said to Moses in Exodus 20. When he says this, you shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord your God, am jealous God. See, they will have known that it was more than simply just bowing down to a statue. See, they knew that worship was a heart thing and they could only give their hearts and their worship to their God. They knew that God was powerful to rescue and save them. See, sometimes people say, I don't need I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need to, I don't need to I just want to love Jesus. Do you hear people say that, you know, I don't actually I don't need to study the Bible. I don't need to read the Bible. I don't need I just want to love Jesus. And you think, okay, well that, that sounds really good. Sounds fine, but It's as we read, as we understand the Bible, we encounter the living God. See, we can have lots of thoughts about what God is like, and people do have lots of thoughts about what God is like. But as we read the Bible, we find out what God is like and who he is. But it wasn't just an understanding in their heads. It wasn't just stuff that stayed up here. Do you know, there's lots of clever people in universities who know the Bible much better than any of us. Yet they don't know Jesus. Yet they've missed the point. They've never put their trust in the God of the Bible. Never personally encountered him. See, Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego call him the God whom we serve. Actually, in other translations it says our God, whom we serve, they knew God personally they knew he was powerful enough to deliver them, and they were satisfied to put their trust in him there was no way they were going to compromise the God that they had come to know so I want to encourage you, commit yourself to reading God's word and more importantly applying what it has to say to you And your life. So when you are going through trials, just like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, you can say, do you know, I know that this is hard, but I know that God loves me. I know that God won't leave me. I know that nothing can separate me from his love. And I'm choosing, I'm going to choose not to compromise my trust in him through this. Okay, so that was point one. We're going to, the, the second, the second, two and three are a little shorter, so don't worry. The second thing I want to draw out is this. They experienced the presence <coughs> of God. Okay, so they're thrown in the furnace. It's so hot, the men that are carrying them in are killed, it says. And these furnaces would have had a bit where you could look inside and see what was going on inside the furnace. How dis- and weird is that? It's grim, actually, and gruesome. They want to have a look in and watch these guys burning alive. But what does Nebuchadnezzar see? Not only three men unbound, unhurt, or walking freely, but a fourth person who is like, it says, who's like the son of the gods. Do you know, There's commentators have various different views about who this fourth person is. Is it an angel? Is it is it God? Is it Christ? Before being born in the flesh. Is it Christ that's with these guys? He's the fourth one. I'm not going to argue and say I know more than these commentators. But what they do all say is this, and they all agree on this. What it does teach us is it reminds us that through the trials of life, through the trials that you and I face, God is with us. Do you know, if you're a Christian here this morning, the reality is this. We know the presence of Christ in our lives in every situation. So this is what it says at the end of Matthew's Gospel. This is Jesus' last words, last recorded words in Matthew's Gospel. Surely I am with you to the very end of the age. And then in John 14, he says this. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, says Jesus. He's talking about the Holy Spirit, See, because the Holy Spirit lives in you, the presence of Christ is with you and in your life. It's amazing. See, this is one of the great truths of Christianity, that God dwells, God lives with his people, with you and I. It's amazing, it's grace, it's undeserved, but he loves it and he does it. He's with you in your life. He's with us as we gather together. He's with churches all over Teesside that love (coughs) Jesus. It's wonderful. See, often when people face trials, often when they face difficulties, they say this. Maybe you've heard yourself saying this. Where's God? I feel so distant right now from God. But the truth is, he is with you. And he's with you in the trials. What trials are you facing right now? What things are causing you to say, where's God? God feels so distant. Do you know, you need to know today, he's with you. And there's people in this church who can testify that they've been through some serious trials and just known the presence of Christ, just, just sensed, oh, God was so with me in that situation. I'm aware of it. And it's interesting to see that Nebuchadnezzar's first question isn't, why aren't they burning up, actually? That isn't his first question. I think that would have been mine, maybe. But his is, which again is a good question. Why did they put, there were three we put in. Didn't we put three men in the fire? He's amazed. He sees that not only has God intervened in their situation, he's not left them on their own. Do you know, as you go through the trials of life, as you go through the difficulties of life, and make a stand and say, do you know, I'm believing that God's with me. I know he's with me through these trials. Do you know other people see that? Some people will say, oh, you're just being silly. But do you know, many will say, do you know, there's something going on there. Do you know, I see something of God. They're right. They're right. I see something of God with them. And his goodness. You know, people don't, when we go through trials, people don't need us to be pretending that everything's okay. Oh yeah, it's fine, it's fine, everything's fine, I'm not hurt, it's not painful, it's not... No, they don't need to see that. What they need to see is the people who say, this is hard, but I know God's with me. I know he loves me, I know he's for me, I'm going to pursue him in all this. Or maybe when you choose not to compromise your faith... You no, know, I'm not going to do that. I know that's not what God would want for me. I'm gonna, I'm not going to do that. People won't simply just see. Oh, they look like a st- strong-willed person. Actually, they'll see there's a God with them who empowers them to not compromise who they are in Him, in me. So they didn't compromise their God. They were they. Knew the presence of God, and finally they were protected by God. (coughs) The writer of Daniel says that they emerged from the furnace completely unharmed. It's an amazing miracle, not even a smell of fire on them. You see, there's a prophecy in Isaiah that finds its literal fulfillment in this uh, uh, account. And it says this, Isaiah 43, When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm me. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned. And the flame shall not consume you. But do you know, that's true for us too. That is true for us too. I'm not just talking about firewalking. Has anyone done firewalking before, where they walk on hot coals? Has anyone ever seen that? That's not what this verse is about. I I can walk across hot coals. No, that's just a... Well, not a trick, but it's just a mind thing, isn't it, really, that you can do that. Um, For the Christian, as they go through trials, they are protected. You and I are protected by God. See, James, uh, in his book, writes um, to to a, a bunch of Christians that are facing all kinds of difficulties and all kinds of trials. Situations where they would have been tempted to give up and compromise their faith in Christ. And this is what he writes at the start of James. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And you see, when James is talking about the testing of your faith, it's not he's testing it to see if it's any good or not. Actually, No. What he's doing is he's strengthening the faith that is already there. That's what's happening in trials. See, that's what it is to know God's protection. It's not that we'll never face any difficulties, but as you stand in them, you and your faith is being refined by him, being perfected by him. He's making you the person he wants you to be. Maybe when you face that temptation at work, do you know, I'll just I'll just fiddle the figures. No one'll know. I'll just I'll just claim for expenses that I shouldn't. Everyone else does it. Everyone does that work does that, don't they? Maybe if you're at school or college I'll just cheat on this assignment or this exam everyone does that way everyone else will be doing it like this I'll just cheat too do you know as you stand and don't compromise for him he's working in you to make you more like Jesus (coughs) okay I want to finish because I want some time for response to respond to this but I want us to see this at the end of the passage Nebuchadnezzar has this revelation of God praise be to the God of Shadrach Meshach and Abednego he makes the decree anyone who speaks bad of their God is going to get it do you know he makes this big decree but it seems like he hasn't accepted their God the way that they have He hasn't personally made him Lord of his life. See, he's had a revelation of God. But he hasn't come into relationship with God. He sees that their God is more than just this 90-foot image like the one that he set up. It's the God who is in charge of all. The God who empowers his people not to compromise. Who's present with them in the trials. Who protects them. But it seems like he stops from receiving God. Personally. See, many people can have a revelation of God. Many people even can be healed by God. But not know him. Not come to know God personally. See, Jesus says this about himself. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. He's saying, if you want to know God the Father, know me. Look at me, says Jesus. And do you know, it's because of Jesus' own fiery trial that we can know him. It's because he faced the furnace of God's anger for our sin and our wrongdoing. Because he faced the furnace and didn't compromise and took on the punishment that we deserved that we can know him. At the cross... It looked like God had abandoned him forever. But actually, he was taking on the punishment for our sin and dealing with it forever. And that's what it means to know God. That's what it means. to It means to accept what he's done on the cross for you and I. To accept that his punishment was in the place of us and to receive his perfect life in exchange for our messed up life. And to make him Lord over all. Every single idol, he is Lord above all. And do you know you can do that today? I want to give you a response to do that today. When we respond. But I think what I'd like to do is, if the band could come up, I want to, what we're going to do is, we're going to come and worship Jesus again. We're going to take up our offering as we do that. And then I want to bring some direction about how I'd like us to respond this morning. So if the band could come up and we'll worship Jesus and then we'll take our offering and then we're going to respond together. (coughs) Come on, let's keep our attention on God. Let's not Let's not lose Lose sight of him in this time as the band just prepare. I feel God wants to come to us. God wants to work in us by the Spirit. He wants to come afresh, empower us, remind us who we are, remind us who he is. And if you could lead us for a little bit and then I'll come in and bring some, some direction if that's okay.